Good morning, everybody. Good morning. How are we all? It's good to see you all today, whether you're here in the room or joining us online as well. Um, my name is Steve, for those of you who I've not met before, and I'm part of the team here at FCC. Um, so we've just been asking that question um, in the room and online, what has been the best day of your life? So let's hear it. Best day of your life? Going to Blackpool. Excellent. Great answer. Anyone else got an answer? I've seen online somebody has said the day that my daughter was born. Someone else has said that there's too many to name one. The birth of children again high on the list. Anybody else? Anything else? Okay. There's no need for that, whoever shouted that out. Go on, Linda. The day what, sorry? Oh, lovely. Lovely. Notice how Gordon didn't say it back. No, he is, I'm sure. He is, I'm sure. Um, I wondered actually whether anybody did get into trouble when that question came up and whether anybody kind of forgot to mention the day they got married and their spouse is like, come on, or the day that their child was mentioned and you sat with your child and they're thinking, surely that was a good day. Um, I, I think that that is a really tough question to ask, right? Anybody else find that one hard to answer? Because like the best day of your life is a, a big, broad question. We play a game in our family, which is favorites. And in the game of favorites, it's to be honest, what we play most weeks before the preach when we ask these questions and you have to say like, what's your favorite I don't know, um, takeaway meal or favorite kind of flavor of crisps. But there is a rule in our family, and the rule is this. You have to pick one. And the reason why that rule exists is because of Lois. Lois is my sister-in-law, for those of you who don't know, and uh, incredibly indecisive. And so the rule is you have to pick one. Like, you have to pick one. But I'm going to break the rules today and share a few of what I think have been the best days of my life because I find it really hard. And, like, yeah, of course, there was, like, the day I got married and, you know, the day that I had kids. But the truth is, were they the best day of my life? Well, suddenly life became a whole lot more, like, I had to be more responsible. It became a lot more expensive. So were they the best day of my life? I'm not so sure. Um, but... <laughs> None of them are in the room, so I can say that right now. Promise me you won't tell them? I think that when I hear that question, though, my mind goes back to childhood memories. And I start to think about days in life when, well, there just wasn't as much responsibility. And so, best day of my life, I think of a day when we went to um, Western Supermare Beach and the tide was out, and suddenly there were just loads of sandworms everywhere. And like, I don't know, there was just something about that memory that stands out for me. I think about the time that I went on a trip to Cadbury's World. Anybody been to Cadbury's World? And like, you think it's gonna be like Charlie Chocolate, uh, Charlie Chocolate? <laughs> you know who I mean, Willy Wonka in the factory, that, whatever it's called. Um, and like, it's nothing like it, nothing like it. Um, but it was a good day. And then I think about the day that I went to West Midlands Safari Park and uh, there was this toy that I wanted and I was allowed to buy it. And it was this animal with like a handle and you squeeze the handle and it's on top of a pole and the mouth opens. Do you know what animal I mean? I tried to explain it to Lois and she said, I think you're going to need an illustration. So here we go. Look at that. How good is that? So Sean had a treadmill, 
Lois had a paddleboard, and here I am with my giraffe. I think I absolutely win the best illustration, right? I think Di had toilet rolls, actually, so I'm sure I'm not last. But, um, and then I think of a day that I went on a helicopter ride over um, Penzance. Like, these days spring to my mind. And then, of course, the ultimate best day of my life. If, I'm, if I have to pick one, it was May 1999. And in May 1999, I don't, I've seen a few eyes rolling in the corner there, but it was the day that United won the treble. What a day. And I know yesterday happened, but it's important just to remember that at this point in time, we are the only English team to have done the treble. And so best day of my life, I think, would be that. It's those days and it's those moments, though, that you wish would never end. And uh, in, in our family, my, I've got two daughters and they've been known to say this phrase on their birthday or on Christmas Day, where they say, um, I wish that we could start this day all over again. I wish we could start this day all over again. And you know what's funny about that phrase is they often say it and it's only nine in the morning, but the trouble is like they've opened all the presents and so they wish that we could start that day all over again. I wonder if you've ever had that feeling where you wish a day would never end or you wish that you could start it all over again just to enjoy it that bit more. You know, there's someone in the Bible who had one of these days a day, that he would, uh, a day that he wanted to never end because of something incredible that happened to him. And we're going to look at this, um, this person and this best day of their life that they experienced. And it's a story in the Bible which kind of growing up, whenever I would read it or hear it, it left me thinking, well, what on earth was going on here? And so we're going to tackle this one together and we're going to read it together. It's, a, it's about as close as like a sci-fi moment in the Bible that you can get. It's in Matthew 17. Matthew chapter 17. And um, Matthew's in the New Testament of the Bible. It's the first book of the New Testament. Uh, it's going to come up on the screen. If you're not familiar with the Bible, then you can read along with it behind me here. It says this. It says, six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. We're just going to pause the story there for a moment because already a lot of stuff is going on here. We've got Jesus, we've got three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John. Now, Jesus had 12 disciples, but within the 12 disciples, there's often these times in the Bible that we read of Jesus where he had this kind of inner circle of friends, Peter, James, and John. And they've gone up a mountain. Now, I want you just to think for a moment in your mind of three people that are close to you, okay? Got them in your mind? Now I want you to imagine that this afternoon you are going to go for a hike up Snowdonia together. Okay, the four of you are going up Snowdonia. And now I want you to imagine that one of those people that you're with suddenly just starts to glow bright white. Like everything about them just changes appearance and they are glowing. Weird, right? 
Like, this is a strange moment. But then to kind of add another level to it, now I want you to think, you've thought about your um, three friends. I want you to think about two heroes in your life. Two famous people or people that, but they've got, they've got to be people from history, okay? And now suddenly, they have just appeared next to you on the mountain this afternoon. This is a strange story, isn't it? This is a strange moment. What happens is that these Jewish heroes of, um, you know, the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, like they would have been fully familiar with these people, Moses and Elijah. These incredible kind of people in Jewish history have just appeared on the mountain. Now, if you're not familiar with these people, let me explain this to you. Moses lived 1,400 years before this moment. And Elijah lived 900 years before this moment. But they've appeared on the mountain next to Jesus. I've got so many questions. Whenever I read stories like this, my mind goes to places where I just think, I need to know, like, what on earth is going on here? How is that even possible that these people, like, to put it into context, it would be a little bit like me standing here today and Pope John V appears next to me from 1400 years ago. And King Richard I appears next to me from 900 years ago. They're not particularly heroes of mine. I don't really know anything about them. But like to put it into context, this has just happened before Peter, James, and John's eyes. These people living from centuries ago have appeared. Here's the question I've got. How did they know that it was Moses and Elijah? Like, were they wearing labels, name, name badges? Did they have caps on that said, like, I'm Moses? Um, I don't know. But here's what we do know from when we look at this. The focus was very clearly meant to be on Jesus in this moment. Who was glowing? Jesus was glowing. That's Jesus. He shone bright. And that's where we get this word that you might see in your Bible, transfiguration. Let's read on together. Verse 4 says this. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three tents as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Let's pause there for a moment. I have more questions. Is it okay to have a favorite disciple? I don't think there's any problem with it, is there? So I'm going to have one. Peter is absolutely my favorite Disciple. The reason being that if you look at Peter throughout the Bible, you'll see that he often says things without really thinking about what he's saying. And I can absolutely, anybody else relate to that? Like you say something and then you think, oh, I didn't actually think about what I was about to say, which can get me in a lot of trouble sometimes. But I think that actually in this moment, to be fair to Peter, his reaction is totally normal. Jesus is glowing. Moses and Elijah have just appeared. And what does Peter want to do? He wants to do this. He wants to, bear with me a moment. Here we go. Has that worked? There we go. He wants, where's the front? Oh, that's the bottom. Are we there? He wants to pop up a tent. And he wants to camp out in the moment with these guys. He wants to mark this moment and he wants to say, this is incredible. Like Moses has just appeared and Elijah is here. We need to camp out on the mountain. Now, when it says tent, it doesn't mean that he wanted to pitch up a tent and camp out on the mountain. 
But what he wanted to do is he wanted to mark this moment with these like three statues, memorials, this kind of um, shelter to say, this is where Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, well, Jesus was already there, but this is where Moses and Elijah appeared next to Jesus and Jesus was glowing. Peter doesn't want to go home. He wants the moment to last forever. And I don't blame him because in that moment, however he was aware that this was Moses and Elijah, maybe he looked them up on INDB or Wikipedia or something, I don't know. But like in this moment, if I was in his shoes, I would want to say to Moses, like the plagues, tell me about how that was. Like Pharaoh, what was he like? You know, the whole part of the Red Sea, like, tell me that story. That is epic. The Ten Commandments thing, like, how did that come about? And then there was the, the burning bush. Are you sure that that really happened? Like, what was going on in that moment? And Elijah, like, Elijah, you went up to heaven in chariots of, with chariots of fire surrounding you. Like, Peter wants to know What's going on in these guys' lives? Like something incredible is happening. He's in awe of the moment. And in his eyes, I think nothing gets better than that moment. It was the best day ever. Let's read the rest of the story together. It says this. It says, but even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. Then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And then they looked up and Moses and Elijah were gone. And they, they saw only Jesus. As they went back down the mountain, just notice that phrase, as they went back down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Now, think about what has just happened. Going up the mountain, uh, Moses and Elijah appear, Jesus is glowing, and then we just see what happened. The voice of God comes, and they fall over. Now, this is the ultimate church service. Bright lights, the best preachers, the voice of God, the disciples fall over from the power of God. Jesus lays his hands on them. It's about as Pentecostal as it gets. Like this is an incredible moment right here for Peter and for James and for John. So no wonder that Peter wanted to camp out in the moment. But again, who's the focus on? The focus is on Jesus. Amongst two of the most powerful men in Jewish history, God speaks words of authority over Jesus. This is my dearly loved son. And bear in mind that Moses and Elijah both did incredible things and prophesied incredible things. What does God say? He says, listen to him. He is placing all authority in this moment on Jesus. Peter and James and John, if they thought Jesus was something else before this moment, well now this is like mind blown about who Jesus is. It was in their eyes this ultimate moment. Jesus gets them up though. And then what did we just read together there in uh, verse 9? As they went back down the mountain. Peter wants to camp out in the moment. He wants to stay there like this is an amazing experience. 
But Jesus is saying, no, no, we need to go back down the mountain now. This epic church service is over. And what we're about to find out is that people need help. Why does Jesus warn them not to tell anyone? I think it's because it would have caused quite a stir, wouldn't it? If the disciples went down and said, you're not going to believe what just happened. Moses and Elijah are up there. Like that would have caused quite the storm. And then if they'd have said to people, and, and, and the voice of God just said that Jesus is the one. He's the one and only. Listen to him. There would have been a riot. And it wasn't time yet for Jesus to have been killed. We see that Jesus is greater than the prophets that had come before him. Jesus is greater than the, the law that had come before. And then we're just going to jump forward a few verses to see what was waiting for them at the bottom of the mountain. It says this in verse 14. At the foot of the mountain, a large crowd was waiting for them. A man came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. Like, let's not rush over this verse. At the foot of the mountain was a desperate father whose son was having seizures and suffering terribly to the point that he was falling into fire and into water. Like, this is desperation waiting at the foot of the mountain. What we see is that Jesus goes on to heal this young boy. There isn't time for us to read all of it now, but I encourage you read Matthew 17 when you get a chance. Jesus heals this young boy. And then Jesus goes about his everyday life and con continues to bring healing and help to the community at the foot of the mountain. What was Peter's intention? Peter, if he had it his way, would have been camped out in the moment at the top of the mountain. Still in awe of what he had witnessed. But Jesus was eager to get on with helping the community. This is what Jesus is all about. Time and time again, when we read about his life, when he walked this earth, we see that he stops and he listens, and that he is present with people. I think this is a really helpful picture for us of our vision here as a church. If, you, if you're not aware, then our vision here as a church is very simply to be helping our community. But I think there's more to it behind it that we see in this story, because what we see is that the mountaintop experience was important. But it can't be all that we're about. Our community needs help. Mountaintop experiences, what does that represent for us today? I think the mountaintop experience represents for us the times that we meet with God. It represents our devotion times, maybe when we read the Bible or we pray or we worship. It represents when we gather together on a Sunday, whether that's here in the room or joining online. It represents the connect groups that we gather in. It represents our prayer meetings. It represents the, the times that we come together as the people of God. And those times are beneficial. We mustn't ever neglect those times 
They're really important. Times that we encounter God, times that we hear his voice, times that we gain fresh insight, times that we celebrate together, we pray together, we laugh together, we cry together, we worship together, we get inspired together, times that we do community together. But it mustn't ever become a holy huddle where all we long for is the mountaintop experience. Why? Because at the foot of the mountain are our communities that we all belong to that are in need of help. The mountaintop is important. Jesus took the disciples up the mountain. He was all about the mountaintop experience. It was, a, it was this amazing experience for Peter, James and John. They would never forget this moment. Peter writes about it later on in the New Testament. What did this moment do? Well, for Peter, if he'd had it his way, they would have built three shelters so that everybody could remember where and when this happened. But that would have been missing the point. The point of this moment was that it left them in awe of who Jesus is. And that's got to be the point of our mountaintop experiences, that we spend time just being in awe of who Jesus is. But for the disciples at the foot of the mountain, there was this family in desperate need. This family who was suffering. And at the foot of the mountain, for the disciples and for Jesus were broken and hurting communities who were uh, being oppressed under the corruption of the Roman Empire and of religious leaders. Communities desperately, desperately in need of the power that these three disciples had just experienced on top of that mountain. When we spend time with Jesus, whether that's privately or whether that's when we gather together as the church, it has to fuel us for being in our communities. Because we live in communities that are in need of the love and the hope that we experience ourselves from Jesus, don't we? And so how are we going to do this? How are we going to help? What, what help can you bring into your community where you are, where you represent, where you are an ambassador for Jesus this week? And I can't necessarily answer that for you because it's going to be different for all of us. But maybe it's just simply about getting to know your neighbor. Maybe it's about being a listening ear for someone who is lonely. Maybe it's simply offering to get some shopping for someone, a neighbor or someone who you know finds it hard to do that. Perhaps it's about providing a lift for somebody who doesn't drive and they need to get to a medical appointment. Maybe um, it's very simply for you in your workplace or in your place of education or wherever your community is this week, maybe it's just that you demonstrate what it looks like to live with hope in what is a desperate time to live in. And that's not to say that you rock up to work and you have to be happy. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is that like, as followers of Jesus, we have a hope. We have a hope. And we have this hope that a desperate world around us that we are part of needs to know and experience and hear about. And so it might be that this week you go to work and you say, I'm really struggling. I'm really struggling. 
And you know what's getting me through right now? It's just spending time with God, praying and asking for his help. It's, you know what's getting me through? It's that, that I'm part of this community that I can come to and be part of. And they get around me and they pray for me. And like, I'm still struggling, but I've, I've got hope. And maybe that's the help that you need to bring this week to your community. It doesn't need to be complicated. Like, it may well be that this week you encounter a situation like Jesus and the disciples that you need to pray for and that, that healing can come this week. And like, we believe for miracles, right? But it might just be as simple as just getting to know somebody who's in need of hope. But if we don't come down from the mounting experience with God, then we're not going to know where the help is needed. I love how the Bible shows us um, progression and change in people's lives. You see, Peter, James, and John, if, if, if you're not um, aware of their lives and how things go on, then let me just fill you in. They became pioneers and key leaders in the early church. They established churches that made impact in their communities. The book of Acts, which is another New Testament book, it documents the early church for us. And you know what was clear is that the early church was more than just camping out in church services. You know, gathering together like this is really important. It's an important part of what the early church did, but it was with the purpose of equipping one another to be ambassadors for the kingdom of God wherever they went. And what we see in the New Testament is that that happened wherever they went. How did Peter go from wanting to camp out on the mountain to instead being interested in what was going on at the foot of the mountain? Here's what I think happened. He experienced the power of God. He was filled with the power of God. And he lived out the power of God. Three simple things. You see, Peter was one of the first to find the empty tomb. We see that Mary Magdalene was actually the first. This woman who followed Jesus was the first. She went back and she told the disciples and then Peter comes and he's among the, the, the group of people that actually witnessed this empty tomb. And so he was one of the first to experience the power of God there. And when you experience what Jesus has done, it has a life-changing impact on you, doesn't it? Peter was among the first, then we read on in Acts, to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. What did this do for him? This filled him with passion and desire to simply point people to Jesus. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit points and directs people to Jesus. And then we see that Peter, as I said, was a pioneer in the early church, seeking to share Jesus with people and how he can change your life. Peter led the early church to be in a community that helped the poor, to be in a community that shared everything they had, a community that ran food distribution programs, a community that experienced a unity across ethnic boundaries, a community that demonstrated forgiveness and reconciliation. The early church was a movement that were countercultural to the empire-building society of its time. A community of people who decided not to camp out 
in the Sunday service, but to do something as they experienced the power of God. It's about becoming more than just Sunday Christians, where our faith is just about coming together for an hour or so on a Sunday. And it's about seizing the other 167 hours that we have in the week. Obviously, you need to sleep, but like to represent Jesus to our communities. It's about the local church helping our community. And the local church here in Witness has been doing that for decades. And there are story after story after story of lives that have come to find Jesus, of lives who have experienced the incredible power of God, of lives that have experienced healing and all things that happen when we encounter God. But I'm not prepared just to settle for what we see when we look back in history. I want to see more. Anyone else with me on this? Like we want to see more for our community today. We want to believe more for our community today. We want to see lives come to know Jesus in our community. We want to help people who are struggling in our community. We want to see those things that I mentioned before that were characteristic of the early church. Like we want to look different. We want to be different. Why? Because we represent the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven is different. And it looks different. And we're here to bring change and help and hope. I loved hearing recently, and I'll just finish with this, um, a story from Lois. And we were just reflecting and talking about something that's happened through Lunch Club. Our Lunch Club, which we'll sometimes refer to as Make Lunch, happens in the school holidays. And very simply, we seek to provide food, friendship and fun. And in, in doing this, here's a story that Lois shared with me. And I've changed the names. But basically what happened is that after about um, a year of doing lunch club, Lois invited one of the young people that was coming to lunch club to come to FDY. And FDY is just the, the youth group that meet together here. Um, and uh, here's what she said. She said, after Olivia started coming to FDY, she invited Liam, who brings Oliver and Elijah, who bring Henry who also brought Mateo and Jackson. Liam also brought Logan, who brought Carter and Cooper. Olivia, who's the first child that we mentioned, also brought Sophia, who brought Chloe and Violet, who brought their brother Bobby, who brought his mate Santiago. And then she said in the email, shall I go on? And I said, no, that's enough. We don't want to hear about any more lives changed in our community. She, I, I, that was a joke, by the way. I, um, we absolutely do. But I spoke to Lois and she said, there's more. But what I love about this is that that's 14 young people who attend FDY now. And all of them can be traced back to one thing. And that, this one thing is this. It's when I picked up the phone to a primary school who made a referral for one young person and their family who were in need in our community. And as a church, in that moment, we were positioned because we run a lunch club in order to say, yeah, we've got space in our lunch club, come and join us. And out of that, look at the impact. 14 more young people who we've been able to connect with, 14 more families, 14 more stories of, uh, of lives that are being changed. How are you bringing that, that hope to the community that you are in? The mountaintop is a good place to be. It's important. 
But when we seek to keep those moments to ourselves, then we're missing out on all the good that God wants to do through us and in the world around us. We stand to your feet, church. If you're able to, it's fine if you can't. But just where you are in this moment, I just feel like there's a, a response of sorts. Because I think that what, what we need is we need to have this healthy balance of being on top of the mountain, but also of being at the foot of the mountain. The two need to work together. I think there's a danger for all of us as followers of Jesus, if we follow Jesus, that we can neglect one or the other. Jesus took Peter, James, and John up the mountain. He wanted them to experience what they experienced, this demonstration of the power of God. But it was to grow in their love for him and to equip them to go back down the mountain. Maybe you've got this whole Sunday service and having devotion times with Jesus and prayer meetings and connect groups. You're, you're at them. That's fine. That's not a problem. But you struggle to represent Jesus in your community. Today, I want to just pray for you that you would be fueled by the power of God to help your community. But the opposite danger is that maybe you love to help people and you're really good at that. That's not a danger, by the way. But the danger can be that when we help people out of our own strength, it will have its limitations. And you become so busy that you don't ever have that mountaintop experience with Jesus. And I don't mean literally walking up a mountain and bam, there's Jesus and some Old Testament prophets. But I just mean growing in your understanding and your love for Jesus. Which means that you're trying to help your community from an empty place. Today I just want to pray for you that you would have a new and a fresh encounter with Jesus. And so in this moment, if you would like to experience the power of God in your life. We're just going to invite him now. And if, if you would like that in your life, just do something to respond to God in this moment. It might be that you just put your hands out before him as a, a, a position, a symbol of surrender and just say, God, I need you. God, I want your power to fill me. Holy Spirit, I need you to lead me, to guide me. And in this moment together, we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit would just come and fill us afresh and fill us anew. Come, Holy Spirit. We need you, God. Fill us afresh. Fill us anew. God, in this moment where you see hearts open to you, we know, God, that you're going to fill right now. You're going to bring the power of your spirit in order to point people to Jesus. In order to direct us to Jesus, to point us to you, Jesus. That we would have a fresh understanding of who you are. That we would grow in our understanding of your love and your grace and your mercy. 
but not to hold it to ourselves or to keep it to ourselves or to camp out in the moment. But God, to be your representatives to the communities around us. Come, Holy Spirit. We need you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. And if that's the prayer of your heart right now, just keep asking, keep reaching out. Just keep seeking God's Spirit to come and move in your life. And he will. Come, Holy Spirit. We need you. We need you, Holy Spirit. We need you. Thank you.